Oh, dear universe. Do you like me? Or do you like like me? Happy BD, universe. Oh, that feels good. I've decided to indica and massage chair my way through the, what is it, 3, 4, 5, um, 214, 2022, 345 MST, 545 EST, no idea GMT, but oh, I'll tell you what, this massage chair cost me $175 on Craigslist. I had tried it out at Costco and then went looking to see who had bought it and regretted it and was dumping it on Craigslist. And what do you know? There were like three of them. But the guy agreed to deliver it. It came with the leg massaging ottoman as well. And it was in mint condition. They were on sale at Costco for like 600 bucks, 175 And I have used this thing to the point that if I had paid for massages as much as I've used this, I would have spent five grand in massages. Like it's, it is as good as going to a masseuse, especially because you can maneuver your body to get whatever these rolling uh, weight pressure mechanisms are that are housed in the chair straight into a position to, to counteract whatever muscle pain you're experiencing. If you have back pain, it's, I think the brand is iJoy. I'm not really sure on that. That sounds like earphones I've had before, but, or earbuds. Earbuds and headphones together are earphones. Anyway, before I show my age in even more ridiculous ways, these massage chairs are cheap, and they're easily found on the used market, and it has changed the relaxation of my back muscles unlike anything else in life. So there's your sales pitch for massage chairs. You're welcome, Massage Chair Trade Association. For those of you repairing massage chairs, I just gave you a boost. And like I've said before, if you haven't considered the repair industries, well, why? <sighs> and clearly the Indica massage chair response is to the angst I was piling up in the last couple of episodes. And I don't mean to get angsty, but I also I'll, I, I have to uncork the angst I'm building when it's building so that I can relieve myself of those pressures. And I do feel pressure about trying to sort out why the universe keeps sending me such clear, overt signals. Like in the Super Bowl yesterday, I wasn't very clear about how the one point element of the missed extra point was so indicative of exactly how I know I'm being toyed with by the universe itself. But when you set the over underline at 23 and a half, and then when the actual difference between that bet going over and under is the one in 10,000 chance that the holder bumbles the snap. It's like winning a bet because a professional golfer misses a six inch putt. Did you win the bet? Because really you should have lost it. Did he lose the bet yesterday? Because he should have won it. But he lost. Because that's what gambling is. Sucky, sucky. One in 10,000 chances happen only because you were stupid enough to bet that they wouldn't. So they do. And that's what I finally came to realize. What you think is chaotic, coordinated, nonsense of outcomes that are completely undetermined until they go down aren't. Because you're involved in the outcome by putting money down on the outcome. You've already tainted the effect. This is what Einstein didn't realize. He said, anytime we measure a particle, we can measure its weight, mass, movement, etc. according to gravitational fields. But what Bohr says, yes, but you're measuring it. That's the point. You're participating. So you have created those standards whereby the measurements can exist. You have put money down on the game. And so you have created a scenario whereby the most ridiculous outcomes are now going to exist. And because I had no actual interest in the game, bested, only the casual interest of knowing that somebody had something hanging on the predicament of a one half point difference in scoring. Well, of course the universe gave me a, uh, an arcade 
simulated version of how that turned out. Of course it did. And I'm not even talking about the Rams failing to score a field goal with time running down in the second half when they threw that stupid pass into the end zone and got intercepted. All of those things have to happen for Zebra to lose. But of course they're going to happen. That's how gambling works. <clears throat> so, all you can do is quit or the universe will continue to mock your hubris by putting things like fumbled extra point snaps into your reality. Yay boo! That is definitely a yay boo. Oh, not like this chair though. This chair is a yay. Yay! Okay. I wasn't very clear about what I was saying on um, how uh, my favorite, my least favorite cliche is our thoughts and prayers go out to them or our thoughts and prayers are with them. What I'm saying is, of course, I, I find validity in the true sentiment of sending thoughts and prayers to those in need. What I do not like is the cliche use of that phrase anytime something tragic has occurred for those in power who have allowed such tragedy to occur. Fuck them. Thoughts and prayers? No, I want answers as to what happened here. Who got held for accountable for 9-11? Who? Why? Why is that nobody's fault that all those people were killed? Why did nobody lose their job? Why were there so many promotions over the event? That we did such a great job responding to the chaos. Bullshit. The chaos was coordinated, allowed to happen, or at worst, planned from within. And our response to it was doubly coordinated. Here's your medal of nonsense. Pat yourself on the back like the asshole you are. So, when those people say, our thoughts and prayers go out to the victims, well, that's my least favorite cliche of all. Um, I don't want to get into Einstein yet. Um, and, and I, I am inconsistent in things I even say as I listen back. And, and I, I will say that this so far is the greatest added benefit of documenting and having a record of stream of consciousness jibber jabber is that I get to go back and listen to my jibber jabber in a way that I've never been able to do before because blah, 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 blah. I'm not really listening. I'm just blabbing. But as I blab, I can start to, uh, there are elements of, of what I truly believe starting to emerge as threads across multiple recordings. And there are also conflicts that are starting to occur that I'm trying to address. So, yeah, I am inconsistent. I might even say something in episode 26 that I directly contradict in episode 33 or episode 73. I, I am trying to find those inconsistencies. It's hard to go back across the entire loop. There's, there's so much recording dribble now to weed through that if you've done it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, well, consider whether or not that's time you should invest. But if you choose to take the investment in time, well, obviously, I have to at least use this documentation as a chance to say, okay, what do I think in terms of, well, what do I think in terms of anything? When conflicts arise, those conflicts have become the best unexpected return on this process that I'm getting because they do force me to re-clarify internally how I really sit on some issues that maybe I'm finding I'm just on the fence on. I don't really have an opinion on that yet. I haven't determined my actual thinking. Um, but those are actually fewer and far between than some of the unexpected conflicts that are arising where I say something and then say something even if not 180 degrees different, 90 degrees different. And then once you're at a crossroads, it's sort of like, well, how do I, how do I sort through this? So if you're finding those and find those to be disappointing or, um, or in any way uh, frustrating that I can simultaneously hold two different perspectives, well, why? 
you know, are you not that nuanced? Do you not have overlapping takes on various triggers in the human experience? Really? Are you all black and white? Because I feel like I'm mostly gray. And I'd like to be a little more black and white. I'd especially like to have some foundational stones that I consider to be drawn in specific orientation that I believe in and will rely on at my most struggling moments. Um, and I, I wonder if I can remove black and white from my lexicon. I do hate that that's a juxtaposition that we are trained to use with such default degree. <clears throat> Anyhow, as I search for this paradigm of truth that I want to uh, uh, enable as well as uh, uh, envelop myself within, uh, I do have to reconcile some conflict. And that's where I'm at. And if you're way past that, well then I think you should probably be listening to Sam Harris. Um, okay, I'm bringing this up because it's come up twice while I've been envisioning it. And so I know it's come up for somebody else envisioning it, and thus I have to address it. I'm going back to the South Asian racist trope here because I named my ex-girlfriend Snake Eyes. And Snake Eyes, unfortunately, in the lexicon of South Asian tropes, is a lot like slanty eyes, a derogatory term that we Americans used to use for our Vietnamese, uh, what, uh, foes? What were they? What were we fighting them for? Whatever they were. Um, I've heard the term slanty eye referred to Asian peoples, if not Asian Americans. And my two best friends in uh, junior high school, Tom Jung and Ken Ju, one who was Chinese, one who was Korean, I'm very well aware of what uh, slurs they endured. Um, and snake eyes however, is a phrase in at least American lexicon that refers to getting the number two on a roll of two dice. And Snake Eyes is a woman who I met in the casinos. So Snake Eyes has nothing to do with her Asian heritage whatsoever. It has entirely to do with her propensity toward gambling. And this is not to lump South Asian peoples with the habit of gambling. This is coincidental. People are who they are. She was a gambler. I'm a white American male. I was a gambler. We had gambling in common. Thus, I named her Snake Eyes. But because there are connections, and especially imagery connections, that we are all subconsciously um, indoctrinated with, the concept of Snake Eyes is too close to slanty eyes not to address it and make sure that I'm understood as having created that nickname in a very other association with this individual. I, I feel it's critical that we always address the places where we might even be slightly misinterpreted in the ways that we believe we should never be taken as anything other than the way we say we are. So, I apologize for making any kind of overlap there even potentially available because it was unintended and it has now been addressed. Just like <clears throat> I don't really even know the four flavors that I think are in the universe because I called spicy one instead of bitter. I don't care that there are six, seven, eight flavors. I don't care. There were four when I was a kid. Is this emerging science? Sure, fine. Okay. Unagi or whatever the flavor of Japanese eel or something is fine new flavor i've never eaten eel i've never eaten whatever unagi is i live with my uh uncertainty in realms like how many flavors exist in the universe i don't even have a very good nose so flavor and taste and smell for me have always been kind of the last of the senses that i feel i'm totally uh relating to i'm much more visual touch and sound okay why is Lily an anti-hero? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you why until I have the conversation with Lily directly. But Lily has done something that devastated my life. 
But I forgive her, and I forgave her in the moment. But that is my best story, and I will not tell it today. I will not tell it without Lily participating. She was the direct other participant, and I won't tell a story that she isn't being allowed to tell her side of while we're telling the story. Because it was the moment I truly realized I had become a different person. Um, does Lily live with me? No, Lily does not. Lily, um, Lily is technically homeless, I guess. Uh, she has been, uh, ostracized from her nuclear family. She does have a grandmother who communicates with her regularly and shelters her when necessary. She has a father who I believe suffers the same affliction. I do not know if that's true. That's how it's been sort of conveyed through her, um, and and giving grandma is the fa is the mother of her father that that sort of fits especially how much she leans on her grandmother. Um, so what Lily what I give Lily is I, I, I do not I, I tell her that I don't care how mad at her I am or what she has done or what she is running from. I offer her sanctuary in my garage. And by that, I mean she can pull up in my back driveway parking space and go into my garage, shut the door, and be safe from whatever the world's throwing at her. And I won't ever deny her that, uh, that, um, that safety because it's the only safety. And I mean, we're talking a garage probably full of mice and black widows, but... You know, you got to have some place where you know you're safe to be yourself. And I don't know what she does in there. I actually, when I kicked her out, I, I she was in it. She's been in and out of the house. Uh, she got out of jail roughly a year ago now. And uh, in the first six months she was out, was bouncing around the city at different things um and i didn't see much of her and then sometime in like august september something happened with her living situation and she was here a lot and she would come here and then she would park her car here and then disappear and so i was getting irritated with her just you know i i don't appreciate when she treats me with the sort of disregard that um i if she is going to be around that uh, I don't at least have some way of communicating with her. And the only rule I have with her, literally, is that she's not allowed to do any needle or crack pipe drugs on my property or in any way uh, agitate my neighbors or get the police involved. If any of that happens, she's on her own and I will happily participate in having her arrested. And uh, <clears throat> so... And, uh, in, right after Thanksgiving, um, I was cleaning stuff up in the garage and she hadn't been around for a couple of days. I assumed she had been with family for Thanksgiving or whatever. And, uh, I found a broken pipe stem in the garage that looked like a crack pipe stem. And I don't, I don't really know that, but I know enough that I know it wasn't a marijuana pipe. And so whatever, it was enough that I wanted her out. And so I kicked her out and I haven't seen her since. And you know, I do feel bad because she denied it, but of course she denied it. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm certainly not going to let her uh, weaving of narratives uh, overwhelm what I know to be structural reality. And I had suspected she was, you know, her just her schedule gives her away. Um, what that she's, you know, moonlighting or whatever. Point is, all of that stuff um, has kind of led to me deciding that it was time to both a get uh, get some uh, get some of my life back uh, and b begin this project. So uh, I had quite a bit of false starts with Lily, thinking the project actually involved Lily, and clearly it doesn't, or at least not in a direct way. But those are those are the things I can tell you about Lily that I feel like I left out. The last piece I'll say is when you deal with somebody who has delusional schizophrenia, what's weird is when you put them on medication, and in Lily's case, it's antipsychotics and, um, and 
lithium. But she's a totally different person. Calm, collected, organized, list-making, on point, literally. But when she's off that, she is the 16 different pies in a wheel of agitated spokes. And that's, I can see how it became thought of as, you know, multiple personalities. Because when you get into your embittered chain of, of concern, well, then you become, you know, Fran or whatever, because you're such a frantic person. To the point that I have many videos and recordings of Lily called The Real Lily 1, The Real Lily 2, The Real Lily 3, where I show her her delusional states because she, she won't take accountability for them. When you tell her this is what you were doing, this is how it was going, what you're remembering is wrong, that's not actually what we were discussing. None of that is true. Boy, I hope all of this was coming through. Um, whenever you do that with her, she'll deny, 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 deny. In fact, go so far as to tell you that what you're telling her isn't true. This is what happened. So video and recorded evidence are your only weapon against that. And the, the worst part is she won't watch. She won't listen. She just runs away from it. And, uh, and it's weird, right? Like, and, and there are times if she's medicated, especially you can go through, um, some of those, uh, recordings and she's way more, mm, connected to them. But when she's in delusional state, she'll flip from one spoke in the wheel to another just to completely deny the reality that is the recorded version of herself that is undeniable. And, uh, and so when she's flipping back and forth in those defensive transitions from one mode to another, she can go from embittered Lily to, um, to, uh, cleaning the house Lily to, um, uh, lawn care Lily to, uh, venomous Lily in a matter of 45 minutes. And it feels like you're talking to four different people because she's slipping in and out of different ways of keeping her spun delusions from unwinding. And believe me, I know a lot about that. When I see the actions that she takes, I realize how far I had let reality twist me up into a state in which delusions became a part of what was the only way to keep me from feeling completely lost. And I don't know why I couldn't deal with reality. I can deal with it fine now. And why I got delusional, I'm not sure. I mean, I do have some intuition there, and I'm going to work that out over the course of the year. It's a way longer conversation than I can sum up in four minutes. But part of it has to do with, um, I don't think it takes much if you're blended in a certain composition for you to find yourself um, detached from reality. Because if you expect to come into a universe that exhibits kindness and understanding, and what you find is, um, is retribution and uh, penalty and punishment, well, you, you think you're broken. That's the simplest way I can put it. And then I worked my way through that at times by becoming delusional. Um, I will be talking about heroes in my next episode. I don't know if I'll be talking about the online content preventer, providers who I do consider heroes, but when I made Lily my hero topic from that recording, um, I had intended not to, I had intended to go a different direction and I ended up talking about Lily. So spontaneous conversations, part of why I'm doing this. So Lily became my hero. That's fine. Online content providers. I still love you. And I will still dedicate a lot of time as to why you're the best thing that's happened in the 21st century. Uh, those are definitely tiger claws on that silly label. And you know what I realized looking at it more? And I did study it, obviously, because it caused me some consternation. <clears throat> but there's also tiger claws on the marijuana leaf. That I had missed because they look like components of the actual plant structure more than they do around the bong. Which are clearly supposed to be tiger claws. Um, here's my guess. 
is that the initial, and, and I know I'm right. This is just how shit like this happens. So the people at AO Extract said, hey, uh, okay, yeah, we want a tiger as our, as our, um, as our logo incorporated in our, in our corporate logo because that's who we are. So can you make a sweet looking tiger and then just, you know, maybe incorporate some of the uh, cannabis themes like, you know, a leaf or something, or maybe a smoking apparatus? Yeah, let's see what that brings. And so he comes back with, you know, the initial um, uh, mock-up and he's got the bong and the marijuana leaf there with the big old ferocious tiger head in the middle, which lo really looks good. And they're like, oh yeah, that does look, that looks good. I like the balance. I like everything, but like, I don't know if it, I don't know if there's enough like continuity. Like why is the tiger there with the bong? Like maybe he should be holding the bong or no, like, he should be holding both. Like he's about to pack the bong. He's like tigerific. Yeah. Can you make him, can you draw like claws and make him? And the artist is like, well, I could, but it's going to get a little jumble. I mean, I'll do it. And so, you know, the artist comes back with some, this is the best I could do given, you know, not blowing the original composition that I had put together. And they're like, okay, yeah, well, maybe, yeah. And all of a sudden, then you get end up with this outcome. So, yes, those are claws. And there is how I know. Um, <clears throat> and it's not just because a Bengal tiger used to be my favorite animal. And in some ways, a Bengal tiger still is my favorite animal, especially because Bengal tigers kill humans for food. Yay. <laughs> that and sharks. And, I mean, other animals do too, especially any animal that's uh, scarcity issues with finding uh, suitable food. Uh, they'll certainly come after humans if necessary. But uh, before I go live with the bears and find myself a piece of bear food, um, I thought I should mention that... Um, I, over, I certainly overlooked the orcas. Uh, dolphins are not the best animals in the ocean. The orcas are. And I look, overlooked them for sure. Orcas, elephants, crows. Orcas, elephants, crows. Then humans. Then dogs. And then what? Wispy angels of everlasting goodness? Or maybe just everlasting gobstoppers? Um... And elephants and crows pass the mirror test. That's what makes them fascinating. They know that they, they know they're looking at themselves. They have self-identity. That's truly exceptional. Dogs accept our assistance. They're one of the few animals that understands when we point at something, it's to get their attention to look at something else. We are asking them to divide their attention between what we're doing and another item. Dogs understand that. That is a huge bridge of communication that most animals do not get. Um, and the morning monkeys, there's a, there's a British, I think TV show. It's six episodes or four or something long about, um, love in the wild. I think it's called or spy. It's spy in the wild spy in the wild. I think is the show. And there's an episode about love and animals showing love. And in that episode is, a group of white, um, I want to say smallish monkeys with tails, not Curious George's, but imagine Curious George, all white with a tail. It would kind of look like that. And the monkey, the, the point of the show is to put animatronic models of the actual animals themselves, and in some cases, other animals, because that creates other tensions. But they want to see how the animals react to what are truly lifelike representations of their own species or put them in dilemmas where they have to interact with newcomers. And, uh, whoa. And in one of these episodes, they, the, 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 uh, animatronic device stops working or they, or they make it stop working, whatever it quote unquote dies. And the whole community of monkeys, comes together to mourn it. It's fascinating. And it proves how connected life is. I don't even really like killing mosquitoes, but I do it. No other animal do I willingly kill. I shoo all spiders out of my house, even flies. I have a fly swatter because there are times, especially at mealtime, 
when a fly or two has to go. But I don't even like killing flies. And I just believe life is magnificent. The idea of sentient life to me is magnificent. So why would I, in any capacity, want to extinguish it? Um, when I said a Bengal tiger is my favorite animal, this is one of those things I hate. Because a Bengal tiger was my favorite animal for a long time. But it's not anymore. And yet, because it was for a long time, I'll just spit that out in conversation. And then I'll think about it and go, wait a second, I don't even believe that. That I do a little too much of. So when I heard myself do that with the Bengal tiger, I'm like, yeah, look at that. What do you know? I'm just yakety-yak, chitty-chatty. And I, I don't like doing that. I'm just filling space instead of thinking before I speak. And I believe that's a way that we definitely get misunderstood. So I don't like doing it because it means I give you reason to misunderstand me. That's not good communication on my part. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, listening to myself scrub away at a dirty pan or pot or whatever I was washing while I was talking about sexual frustration. Yeah, that was that was some uh, coincidence of activity and conversation that um, I think uh, if, if this is all Sims, there are some people in the metaverse laughing at me in that point. Because it's certainly been a while since uh, I, the last girlfriend I had was Snake Eyes. Girlfriend is a strong word there. But the last, uh, let's just say, liaison in my life was Snake Eyes. So that's been mm, five and a half, six years, something like that. So yeah, celibacy has its advantages. I will definitely say that. Was I working on some sexual frustration on that pan? I'm not saying I wasn't. Certainly a possibility. Okay, so... Why do we not work three days, take four days off? This, to me, is my greatest idea, other than how are you going to be? All right. So we're getting into a position now where uh, we, we are facing critical uh, economic conditions where we won't have enough jobs for the people that we want to keep busy. Now, one thing we could do about that is exterminate people, right, FEMA? But another thing we could do about that is rethink our structural lives. Work three days, take four off. What would this mean? Okay, well, let's separate the week, the week into Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And everybody either is working Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we all take Wednesday off. Now, we can organize this any way you want. It doesn't matter. But the point is, you, everybody has Wednesday off. So that there's an overlapping day where everybody is off and everything's just closed. That's just the way it is. Celebrate time together. Don't go to Walmart. Go to your aunt's house and make chicken pot pie. Do something with somebody. It's Wednesday. We're all doing something with people. And then on Thursday, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, people go back to work while the rest of us have three more days off. Then... On Sunday, when the Thursday, Friday, Saturday people start their four-day week off, or weekend off, us Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays come in and start doing the same job they were doing. So basically, we all take one day off a week together, and then for the other six days, we're all working in a capacity to be more efficient. Instead of having two days of non-productivity like we do now, we have one. We're just splitting jobs so that there's co-work. There's two people doing the same job. They're just doing it three days a week while they take four off. That's my idea. Okay. Another reason to have taken Latin is maybe I could remember words like alumnus, alumni, alma mater, yakety yak. <laughs> Apologies there, um, okay, this is a weird one. And this is a line that I'm not sure I understand about myself. I do not like being told that I did A-plus work, even if I think I did A-plus work. I just want to be told, good job. I just want to be noticed for having done the work, if nothing else. Like, I really do. It's when I don't get noticed for doing any of the work that I get porcupine -y. 
Like, I don't want to just be told what I've done wrong. Because I am doing 150 things right to the one thing I'm doing wrong. I just want to be told out of those 150 things, good job, nice work, blah, 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 as we go. So, if you start telling me, man, you're the best hire we've ever had. Oh my God, the way you came out of the gate, you know, I will feel awful about that. So, this is wanting to have my cake and eat it too. And I realize I'm kind of a whiny bitch right here. And I need to figure out why. I do not need the universe to stroke me that I'm doing good work. I do good work. And if I do good work, it doesn't matter what you tell me. I know I do good work. Now, if I think I do good work and you show me that I'm not, will I reevaluate? Of course I will. Then I'll be doing better work. So I'll think I've improved. On what I already think is a good job, I'll now be a better employee. That's how I go through life. So to think that I need those sort of strokes from anybody, I don't know why I need that. And maybe I need to look, work on whether or not I love myself in those capacities. Or if, in fact, what I'm doing is wasting my time so much that I can't fit in there. At least not fully. I'm, I, I don't know where this one's going yet. I'll, I'll be working this one out. <clears throat> it's, I am currently living with one serious delusion. And that is, what if I've always known I'm surrounded by liars? And in fact, that's what's caused me to slip into so many false realities. What if truth is the only thing I've actually ever really known? And that all the whiplash I've suffered in life has been because I keep crashing into lie after lie after lie. We'll see. Um... I, in, in re-hearing myself talk about going to get the tattoo, I sound like I'm humble bragging um, my past trajectory with women. I, I used sex to try to feel complete. And I used the women in the sexual relationships they're in because that's what my goal was, was for them to somehow complete me through sexual congress or companionship. I was always looking for somebody to come fix what was broken. That's using people. Um, now, you can go talk to all three of those women in that car, and maybe they'll all remember fondly some random summer liaison they had with me, and they haven't thought about it in 25 years and can't even name me if, if you give them three names to pick from. Right? But over the course of my life, I know that Broken John often used... Um, incidental contact to try to feel complete and it never worked because broken John was always broken when he got into that and he was broken when he left it so I'm not humble bragging that if anything my ridiculous trail of one night stands is because I didn't know how else to go find any level of true companionship and if that's not using women I really don't know what is I never covered in the um, and why testing the okay when i took the third iq test i took it because i was a bartender one of the other bartenders was getting his masters in psychology and one of his requirements for his master's degree was to uh to uh, to what does it apply what do you do when you give somebody a test he was to administer the iq test Three times, three different people. And because I had taken an IQ test, literally, I had, we had spoken about this. He wanted, I was his first choice because he knew that I knew my score. And so, um, so he came over to my house and I was hungover. I had my naked girlfriend in my bedroom. I was smoking weed during the test because I was, I had such a ferocious headache. Um, and and I knew I had fucked up the spatial part. <laughs> like, I just knew I could, I like, I was having trouble even like visualizing the pictures. There's a part where you have to compare different uh, images and see what's different about them. And, um, and I knew I'd screwed that up. And I also knew I'd screwed up some of the repeat back. Um, you have to repeat back different um, sequences of, of phrasing. And I, and I just was, I couldn't concentrate. Like, and I knew it. So 
I ended up <clears throat> testing 10 points lower than I had tested my other time when I took the test at university, my, my other. So I have three what are considered uh, legally binding scores that uh, are in variance of 14 points. And um, this was my lowest score. And the neat thing though, is I got to see it scored because he kind of let me watch how he did it. And he, and, 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 and I would have a 16-point a variance if I hadn't watched him score it because he didn't give me credit for one of the answers I got right because he didn't understand how to pronounce uh, Johann Wolfgang van Goethe. He thought that I had given him an incorrect answer because he thought the pronunciation of the correct answer of, of uh, who wrote Faust was Goethe. So, <laughs> if that doesn't prove the invalidity of the IQ test in general, then what does? That was two points of variance. If he had not scored that as, as, he, as, as correct instead of incorrect. And I don't even know if he made other mistakes because I wasn't really paying attention to it, but I noticed he made that mistake. And, and I don't even care. This, this to me is, again, evidence that none of that matters. Those scores are irrelevant. Every single one of us is born just as intelligent as every other one of us. How much of that trigger gets lit is different for all of us. Some of us don't even give a shit about math. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm sure you're here to paint pictures. Seriously. And if I have a, a, an Excel spreadsheet of a mind, I'm sure I'm here to do some calculating and figure out where some of the inconsistencies in these budgets we keep seeing are showing up. So that when we paint the bigger picture metaphorically, we can all understand that these numbers should add up and they don't. Why do we take golf clubs to the moon? Can anyone possibly explain that? Why would we risk swinging a golf club and hitting an object on the moon that could cause a suit to rip and end and the life of the astronaut within it? Why would we take the risk? In a world where I can't even use the full volume of my Android phone for fear that it'll damage my freaking hearing. We took golf clubs to the fucking moon. Okay, that's enough of that. Um, all right, let's get into the Einstein and Bohr stuff. I, I made two huge mistakes that make it almost an unlistenable episode. Number one, I talked about Einstein as having uh, fundamentally attached to quantum entanglement. That is absolutely wrong. He is attached to the theory of general relativity. I don't know how I made that mistake in real time, didn't correct it, but I did. And that, from there forward, taints the entire rest of the presentation because it sounds like I'm arguing that they were both on the same side of the same coin. They are not. You cannot have a theory of general relativity in which matter is described as in an existence of time, space, and, and general relativity as according to gravitational waves and also have a universe in which uh, potential outcomes, in other words, quantum potential, potentiality, is the state in which we exist. They are mutually exclusive. And the further we get along the path here, and I think at this point, anybody trying to argue that Einstein is right is a relic. There is there's no argument anymore. The fact is, quantum realities, the states of, of non-locality, and what... The reason non-locality blows the whole uh, theory of general relativity away is because two entangled particles that act uh, in accordance to the stimuli one ex experiences creates the same stimuli for the other. That doesn't happen. It, when I said that that happens, the shortest path knows before the one that's undetermined figures it out. The distance between those two is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if that distance is one meter, or the entire width of the universe. It happens instantaneously. And the theory of general relativity can't explain that. So, it's really the nail in the coffin that says what we are living in is a constant state of quantum potential. And that we as the observers, by observing the action, determine 
the actual state of existence of what we see. Everything is there waiting to happen for us to experience it. And the closest I can come to trying to describe this to a layperson is, imagine that we are the Sims. Okay? Just give me that. Well, when you flip on the game and you, and you build your character and you enter the universe, what's the first thing you do? You start experiencing that universe. Well, I'm hungry. Okay, I need to go figure out how to make food. Right? You just start bouncing around. And every time you do something, you create something about your character that needs to be saved. Your character now has eaten, so he's no longer hungry. That's a data point. So that data point, because you decided to go eat, instead of going to the bookstore to learn more about your speech uh, um, patterns so that you could get a better job in your communication career, you decided to eat. Once that decision's made, that data point has to be verified as part of the game. You could have decided to go over there, but then you'd still be hungry. So as we do what we do, we're constantly creating save points to accumulate inside the simulation. And that's what non-locality is. Somewhere, something has to record what we're doing. Because as we do stuff, we create the save file that is in existence. That's how it works. Now, there is the possibility of the multiverse where every single decision we make splinters another time fracture into another tree branch, into another limb, into another twig, into another leaf, right? And that one's pretty seductive because what it does account for is the, the state of quantum, uh, what is it, quantum immortality, the quantum suicide thing. In that experience, you would, you would be ignorant of your situation. And thus, you would never know that you were committing suicide in every other universe. So the only universe in which you persist is the one in which you obviously do persist. So you don't actually achieve quantum immortality. You achieve the one timeline that your, your decision, or that the, that the electron spins counterclockwise. You'll have to go look this one up. But the multiverse is potentially there too. And, and, so, and, and honestly, if, if, if I want to be personal certainly explains slipping back into a data set where my, my historical record has changed. That feels more like multiverse continuity or congregation or, or collapse. So think about it this way. What, what all matter is, is potential. It's potential to do something. Once it's done it's something, it collapses into a particle experience. So what Einstein got wrong is that the very fact we're measuring things is action on the thing. You can't say, but we can measure it. So therefore, it exists in a relative sense. No, it only exists in a relative sense once we've measured it. Otherwise, it doesn't exist yet. And that's what life is. You keep experiencing the next thing. You keep creating the next save point by doing what you do. Because you didn't do that. Um... I do hate that The Sims describes it so well, you know? Like, it makes you think, fuck, this is just me bouncing around looking for a better stove that won't burn my food and a trash can that won't fill up with flies. Um, okay, uh, two, two last thoughts. Number one, it was 440 pounds of chicken wings. I figured out that we sold yesterday. Um, and it, I don't know if we sold them all. That's how many boxes we opened. We opened 11 boxes. There were 40 pounds of wings in each box, 440 pounds of wings. I had forgotten because we split the, the, the bag. There are four bags in there. It doesn't matter. I, I only halved the amount that we had, we had done when I did my quick math. 440 pounds of wings, folks. That was on Sunday alone. <laughs> so there were 27 cases of wings ordered for this week. We sold 11 of them or more yesterday. We sold the rest of them. The rest of the week. So, I'm so sorry, all you chickens. I'm so sorry. You live such terrible lives. Okay. 
Which brings me to my final thought. <sighs> Imagine a universe in which you are told, as a 13-year-old boy who's barely making it on the varsity football team, but gets the last spot, that not only will you guarantee that um, this that this young individual will have a future in football, they can have a career that will go so far that they will be celebrated as a Super Bowl champion. Okay? So this 13-year-old thinks, my life is going to work out perfectly. I know I'm going to be a Super Bowl champion. It's, it's been prophesied, and I am 100% aware that it is going to come true. So that kid grows up to be the dude who fumbled that extra point. Because you know what that guy gets to go through the rest of life as? Yeah, he's a Super Bowl winner. But he'll be the guy who everybody who meets him will say, Oh, aren't you glad that you won that game? Because think if you had lost, how bad you'd feel. That's what his Super Bowl winning experience will be constantly connected with. Being oh so lucky not to have fucked the game up that the Rams lost it. Because he could have been that guy. The Rams were four points down and needed seven instead of three points down, only needing three to go to overtime. Had they not won that game, he is the GOAT. Having won the game, yay, I'm a Super Bowl winner! Which saves my ass from being the absolute target of all the misery that a fan base can throw at poor Steve Bartman. Imagine being that holder. He won the Super Bowl, but he got lucky because had they lost, he's the guy. And now every single person who's like, oh, you're the dude who fumbled the snap. Yep. Sometimes winning the Super Bowl may not be as great as it sounds when you're 13. <laughs>